Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is not what the hell day is it. It is the 17th day of October 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. It's nighttime. It's nighttime when I'm recording this. And there's a great moon. I could see some stars. I could see the outline of some of the houses here in the San Gabriel Valley of Southern California as I'm going to have a day where I'm traveling again. And it's a beautiful time. It's a beautiful time weather-wise. It's a beautiful time in terms of the year. It's my favorite time of the year when fall is starting to really kick in. Now, I grant you, it's California, so fall is a little bit different here than, like, say, in, in New England or in the Pacific Northwest, but it's still pretty great here. And, quite frankly, the baseball playoffs are starting to crystallize in a way that we're truly starting to see, okay, what's going to happen? What are we going to remember this by? And later tonight, the Cleveland Indians are going to be playing the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I am rooting for the Cleveland Indians in this series, so I, I probably should say I'm rooting for the Indians to win tonight. It wouldn't be the end of the world for me if the Cleveland Indians lost tonight because, yeah, we get to see some extended baseball. You know, when your team's not in it, you find yourself rooting for seven-game series. When your team isn't in it, in some ways, the best situation is when you don't have a dog in the fight and you want it to go to the bitter end. The series between the um, Nationals and the Dodgers, that was the perfect ending for a series for me because... Uh, no matter what happened, it was one of those few series, as only happened in 20 series in the history of the postseason, where a pitch was thrown, and it could have been clinched by either team. It could have been clinched. that the, the, Those were pitches thrown by um, Jansen and Kershaw at the end of the game, where if they got a double play, the series, or now the series would have been over for Los Angeles. If they got a home run or an extra base hit, and the series would have been over for Washington. And so, because it could have swung either way, uh, those are my favorite types because, wow, I just want to see this spectacular ending. You know, the, the World Series between the Rangers and the Cardinals in 2011, I guess in the end I was, I was mainly rooting for the Texas Rangers, but I, I couldn't help but be drawn into how exciting the series was. Because I, I didn't really have a dog in the fight. I was, you know, I did... I wanted Texas to win, but, you know, the Cardinals winning wasn't exactly the end of the world for me. So, you know, I I don't have a real problem with Toronto winning the pennant, even though I truly want Cleveland to. So part of me is like, look, if I really want Cleveland to, then I should just root for them to barrel through and get the sweep. Um... But I do want to see this series get extended. I wouldn't mind if Cleveland wins. I wouldn't mind seeing them clinch the pennant at home. Something they haven't done for a long while. In fact, I don't know when they clinched the pennant in 1954, sometime during the regular season. They won, what, 100 and 
the, what did they win, 114, 115 games that year? So obviously they clinched it relatively soon. The The Indians clinched the pennant in a one-game playoff against the Red Sox in 1948 in Fenway Park. The Indians clinched the 1995 pennant in uh, the Kingdome. The Indians clinched the uh, 1997 pennant in the what's in the Camden Yards. In fact, let me think about this. They let's <clears throat> and yes, I'm going to do this part from memory, but they clinched the division series in 1995 against the Red Sox in Boston. Okay, they clinched the World Series back in 1948. They clinched that in. Boston against the Braves, and in, see, they clinched the pennant, as I said, 95 in Seattle, they clinched the division, okay, they they did have a home clinching division, I was trying to think, have they ever clinched anything at home? They clinched the division series in 1997 at home, that was a great five-game series against the Yankees, um, but man, I, I don't know if they, oh, well, let me look something up. Okay, I did look up. They they won the 1920 World Series in their home park. But the other times they've won, they've advanced in the postseason. Uh, 98, they clinched that in Boston. They seem to clinch more in Boston than they do in Cleveland. In fact, that's true. They clinched the 48 pennant and World Series in Boston. They clinched the 95 Division Series in Boston. They clinched the 98 Division Series in Boston. They clinched the 20, uh, what was it, the 20, uh, uh, what the hell year is it now, 2016. So five times they've clinched a series in Boston. And twice they've clinched it at home. 1920 and 1997 when they won the first round against the Yankees. And when they won the division series in 2007, they won that at Yankee Stadium. And this year in Boston. So, 1920 and the 1997 division series are the only times that the Cleveland Indians have won a postseason series on their home field. And so, part of me would like to say, hey, wouldn't the pennant this year be cool there? Wouldn't that be a nice thing to happen? Of course, if they go to the World Series and they win a game, if it goes six or seven, they win it then, that will be it at home as well. But it's interesting. Yeah, they've gone to the postseason. They've won a, a, a several postseason series. But it's almost always on the road. That didn't occur to me until I started recording this podcast. This is sometimes one of the fun things that happens with this podcast. Why my brain going where it goes and meandering where it goes. Every once in a while I stumble across something like, Hey, did you know this? And chances are you didn't. Because even I didn't. So, look, for Cleveland Indian fans, if they win the pennant in Toronto and they win the World Series in Chicago or Los Angeles, trust me, they'll love it. They'll have a fine time with that. <laughs> even the Cavaliers, even the Cavaliers won the NBA title in Oakland. You know, it's like there's there's never a party in Cleveland. Well, I'd like to see a pennant won by the Indians, and I suppose I'd like to see him won in uh, whatever the hell it's called, Progressive Field, Jacobs Field. 
I call it the Jake. All right, well, let's get down to what the interesting things happened, and that is, while the Indians could still very well sweep the Toronto Blue Jays out of the postseason as they head back to Canada for a game later on tonight, the Los Angeles Dodgers have made it a nationally championship series. Now, of course, as someone who is very openly rooting for the Dodgers in this series, there's that little bit of frustration. If they had held on and won that game one, this game two would just put the Cubs completely on their back heels. But that being said, the Dodgers' main goal was what? To get out of Wrigley with a split. Now, I didn't think Kershaw was going to be pitching game two. If they got a split and had Kershaw going game three, then this is uh, this is a pretty big series for the Dodgers. But as it is, with Kershaw pitching, and pitching quite well, thank you very much, that the idea that, okay, you're going to get Kershaw from now on. You're not getting this guy who would you know pitch into the seventh inning and get whumped by the St. Louis Cardinals, or by the Mets for that matter. You're getting that Kershaw, the Kershaw that wins. And the Kershaw who wiggled out of trouble. And by the way, you know, got the moment where Dave Roberts left him in after coming out to visit the mound. And then the next batter hit the deep fly ball to center field. And Peterson caught it to end the inning. The shot of Dave Roberts laughing like hell when Kershaw came back is my new favorite highlight of this postseason. That and Kershaw getting the final out in Washington. It seems to be about Kershaw and me. I'm, I'm, I'm developing a man crush on Kershaw, okay? So so just, you know, knock it off. But Dodgers won the game. It's now 1-1. And with it being 1-1, they're going back to L.A. Now, this upcoming game, Rich Hill is pitching against Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta is still a terrific pitcher. And this matchup favors the Cubs. But do you know what? Arietta can be beat. The Mets beat him last year. The Giants came back and won a game that Arietta not only started, but hit a home run in this year. The key to Los Angeles is to remember this little fact. The Cubs' bats are not exactly firing on all cylinders. Remember the Giants held them the, the score pretty low. Yeah, they only got the one run in game one. And say, you know, they had to have the big four run inning in game three to clinch it. But their bats have been kind of sort of dead. If it wasn't for the Arietta home run in game three, you know, it would have been. They, they haven't had that big offensive outburst that you would expect from the Chicago Cubs team. And with that in mind, Listen to what I'm saying. Rich Hill against Arietta. Don't worry about Arietta. Just keep them from getting the big inning and hope that you can strike late. And the, the, the biggest game for L.A. is game four. Because John Lackey, still a fine pitcher, but hardly the pitcher who you look at and go like, man, there's no way they're going to beat him. It's not even fair. It's not, they're not even going to beat him. They can beat him. They need to win one game not pitched by Clayton Kershaw. 
because what that does is force at the worst case scenario game seven back in Wrigley and everyone back on their heels. Now, of course, technically, the last game in Wrigley may have already been played. If Rich Hill pitches well against Arietta, they smack around John Lackey, and Clayton Kershaw wins game five, boom, no need to even go back to Wrigley. Is that going to happen? Eh, probably not. Probably not. Would I like that to happen? Yeah, probably would. But that's neither here nor there. The way the series can be laid out for Los Angeles and a victory is right there to be seen by everyone. The Cubs' bats are not firing on all cylinders. They got shut out today. They didn't hit all that great, save for that one inning where they let up the grand slam. They got through. Even though they got a bunch of runs early, That they didn't bust it open and allowed the Dodgers to come back and tie the game. One swing and a miss in the eighth inning, then that's a 3-3 game going to the ninth, and Aroldis Chapman's already finished pitching. Yes, yes, yes. That's a you know a little bit of, you know, besides that, Mrs. Lincoln, how do you like the play? But it's not completely out of line. Look it. What I'm saying is the Dodgers are not dead. The Dodgers are quite alive. This is going to go, I think, worst case scenario for Los Angeles, they lose in six, because Kershaw's gonna pitch again. So you look at games three and four. These are absolutely critical. If you're a Cub fan, you can be looking at them and going like, well, you know, just win the games, not won by an ace, and we're in great shape. The Cubs have only lost two games this postseason. One was a game started by Madison Bumgarner, another was a game started by Clayton Kershaw. In both of those instances, those are games you're probably sitting back on, yeah, they're probably going to lose this, or there's a real good chance that they can lose it. And they did. Now, one was a wild extra inning affair, but one was a one nothing game. So, of all the acquisitions and all the trades and all the big-name pickups and everything that the L.A. Dodgers have done over the years and since the end of the McCourt era and with all the big spending, it's come down to the acquisition of Rich Hill. Now, they've let Zach Greinke walk, which... I was stunned that they did. I think the Diamondbacks may have overpaid for them. They, they didn't pull the trigger and trade away some of their young players to bring in Cole Hamels. Did that save them Corey Seager? Did that save them Julio Urias? Did that save them Jock Peterson? Maybe it did, and maybe in the long run that'll work. But that big-time ace they could have brought in, they could have had in. They didn't spend the money on... David Price when he was available. They didn't spend the money on Zimmerman when he was available. They didn't spend the money on Max Scherzer when he was available. Of all the money was being spent and all the acquisitions being made, Rich Hill could be the most important acquisition they've ever made. Because if he can come through and win this game against Arietta, game three, now, man, if Greinke was still here, if they had made the trade for Hamels like I begged them to, we may be looking at a very, very different scenario for this October, but they didn't. And you can't put the toothpaste back into the proverbial tube. 
And so, Rich Hill, the man who threw a perfect game through seven and was lifted for Joe Blanton. Rich Hill, the guy who pitched into the third, was actually pitching not that badly, but was lifted in the Johnny Olstaff game of game five. Has to pitch, well, has to at least match Jake Arrieta in the most critical game of the National League Championship Series, which is coming up. Not tonight. Tonight's the Cleveland-Toronto game, and we're going to find out what's happening there. That's happening on Tuesday. Hey, can I bring one other thing up? Let me bring one other thing up. Alex Rodriguez. Remember him? He used to play for the Yankees. He's good. I don't mean... You know, as a player, we all know as a player he's good. And whether or not you like him or whether or not you think he's a real Yankee or blah, 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 and all that crap. He's great on television. He's terrific on television. First of all, he's, he's a handsome dude. Secondly, he cleans up really well. He looks really good in a suit and everything. Thirdly, he makes great observations. He can improv. He can ad-lib. He's personable. And... I'll say it. He's one of the best in the business. And I kind of sort of wouldn't mind hearing him in the booth. I wouldn't mind hearing him if they're going to have a play-by-play man and a color commentator. Now, I grant that is another skill, and I don't mean to throw him immediately into a playoff game or immediately into a World Series game. But do you know what? Hey, the TBS does their game of the week or whatever they do. Throw A-Rod in there. Throw A-Rod. He's good. And do you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we can all unite in appreciating Alex Rodriguez and cheering for Alex Rodriguez and thinking about, hey, we've got something good with Alex Rodriguez after he retired. You know, the funny thing is, is I also think a great, in-studio baseball guy, at least on the Baseball Tonight shows and things like that, was Bobby Valentine. I thought he was terrific as a manager. Um, I don't know, as a Red Sox fan, I don't have the warmest feelings about Bobby V as a manager, but I will say this, he was damn good on television. If you had a show which had Bobby Valentine and Alex Rodriguez, yeah, I'd probably watch it. But A-Rod's good. He's really good. I enjoy watching him. He's better. I mean, Pete Rose is kind of, his, his role is to be your drunk uncle. Um, Frank Thomas is okay, uh, but it doesn't you know, make me jump up and down. But man, the more I watch Alex Rodriguez in these shows, I think, I'll be damned. He's really good at this. Granted, he was also really, really good at baseball, whether or not you have an issue with that or not. Um, I just want to throw that in at the end, especially for anyone who thinks I'm a, just a partisan Red Sox guy and I, you know, I hate A-Rod or anything like that. No, no, I think he's really good. And let's hope that there's a, we're going to see a lot more of him. And maybe throw him in the booth at one point. Not this year, may not be ready, but maybe he will be. And maybe he'll be a beloved announcer. Anyway, let's talk about who owned October. Obviously, Clayton Kershaw owned October. Great performance. Um, Adrian Gonzalez. It was a one nothing game, and the one run was on your solo home run. You get a woo. Um, Javier Baez of the Cubs, 
He has been terrific both offensively and defensively. He gets a half woo. And I gave Hendricks a half woo because granted he didn't go that deep into the game, but he pitched well. I mean, it's a one nothing game. Obviously no one pitched that badly if the game is one nothing. So if you're keeping score at home, uh Kershaw and Gonzalez got full ups, half half woos to uh Hendrick and Baez. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. Uh, you can check the up-to-date listings of who owns October on MLBReports.com. The music, you go, uh, did I say you can send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com? I can't even remember. And the music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Looking at the possibilities, this has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for What the Hell Day Is It? It is the 17th day of October 28th. 16. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. We're a week away from my fourth anniversary, and you can call me what? Sullivan.